Robert J. Marks has been interviewed across the United States on a number of radio stations about his book, Non-Computable You. The most enthusiastic interviews are from talk show hosts who have actually read all or part of Dr. Marks' book. Bill Meyer, who broadcasts from KMED KCMD in Medford, Oregon, is one such host. His podcast can be streamed at BillMeyerShow.com, and here is his interview with Dr. Marks. I started reading a book over the weekend that uh, I am going to continue to eagerly devour because it uh, it cut against some of my preconceived notions. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Because uh, the other day, I was uh, watching these stories, and I was reading this story about how a worker at Google was talking about this uh, this artificial life, this, this software, essentially this uh, software, I guess they're calling it a being, and a software developer thinking like, uh, uh, yeah, this... Uh, this software develop. Uh, this software is actually self-aware, and uh, and they're making a big deal about this. I think he ended up getting bounced out of Google because of this. Maybe it's because of uh, of talking out of school rather than actually just saying that the software was alive. But is there a possibility that software replaces us? And I wanted to talk with uh, Dr. Robert J. Marks. The second PhD. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Distinguished Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering, School of Engineering and Computer Science, Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering, Baylor University. So he's a pretty big brain on such things. And serves as the director of the Discovery Institute's Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence. And he hosts the Center's Mind Matter podcast. He's also a fellow of both the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers and the Optical Society of America. He's written a book about these various subjects, like the uh, the Google, the the Google being, I guess uh, that they're uh, calling, and it's called non-computable you, what you do that artificial intelligence never will. Bob, it's great to have you on. I guess you you're okay with being called. That's uh, called Bob, right? Yes, yes. Okay, that's my name, Bob. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. Did you have pretty much the same response that I did when there was this talk about uh, the Google software sentient being of sorts? Uh, what, what was your general impression when you saw that? Oh, my goodness. Well, the, the there are so many ways to push back on that claim, uh, and it, it's hard to choose which one to go down. Uh, we, we can explore one of them, if you'd like to, why that software is not sentient, why it doesn't understand what it's doing, for example. Um the um, computers can add numbers. They can add numbers like 12 and 13, but they don't understand what the number 12 and number 13 is. So the question is, in this Google chatbot, is whether or not that chatbot understood what it was talking about. I think in order to be sentient, you need to understand what you're talking about. Uh, the argument against this is, is, is beautiful. It goes back to a philosopher named John Searle, who didn't know Chinese, and what he decided in his little parable, very short parable, is that he would place himself in a room called the Chinese room. And in this room, there would be little slips of paper pushed through the door that were written in Chinese. They were mm -hmm. questions. And Searle, inside the room, didn't understand Chinese, but fortunately he had a bunch of file cabinets. And he was able to look at the question, and he was able to go to the file cabinets until he found a match to the question. Then in the file cabinets was the answer to the question. So he wrote down the answer to the question on, on the card. He refiled the card. He went back over and slipped it outside the um, room. Now, the interesting thing is that Searle, inside the Chinese room, didn't understand Chinese. He couldn't read it. He couldn't write it. Uh, he couldn't speak it. 
Uh, yet from the outside, it really looked like John Searle knew or what, what was ever in that Chinese room knew Chinese. I mean, my goodness, uh-huh. they could respond to they, they could respond to the questions, and it sure looked from uh, the outside. And that's exactly the same thing that's happening with the Google robot. These this software has looked at millions and millions of files, including I I, I would suppose all of Wikipedia plus some. They have done correlations, word relationships, and things of that sort. And so in the background, there's a bunch of number crunching. And that number crunching is going to spit out an answer, and that answer is going to look like it's uh, like, like it means something. And, you know, it can mean something, but it's like the people external to the Chinese room. That computer has absolutely no idea why it responded. It has no understanding of what it did or what, what it's saying. But it is associating and... Coming up with, uh, well, I guess what you talk about is how uh, is how computers are essentially nothing more, but everything is um, an algorithm, right? Everything is algorithmically, because yes. uh, everything is computational within the computer. Is that kind of the, yes. uh, the, the short way of putting it? Yes, and, and in fact, we have known that there's things which have been non-computable way back uh, since the 1930s, Alan Turing, the founder of computer science, he was in the movie um, The Imitation Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Turing was played by Benedict Cumberbatch. They're the ones that cracked the Enigma code right. that, that helped win World War, World War II. But Alan Turing was also a genius. He was a mathematical genius. And he was able to show back in the 1930s that there were things which are definitely not computable. Now, this was not something which was conjecture. This was mathematical fact. And first, one of one of his first... Uh, papers was on com- numbers which were non-computable. Then he went on to show some other things, uh, the, the Turing halting problem, and uh, there, there's also since then a number of different things which have been shown to be non-computable. Now, if a computer can't compute something, you have to ask the question, are there things that humans do that are also not computable? And the answer, which is which is um, talked about more deeply in the book, is yes. Now, there's the obvious ones, such as love, empathy, and um, compassion, anger. I don't think that those will ever be, uh, ever, ever be duplicated in a computer. But even more important are the idea that we just talked about. Computers will never understand. They will never experience sentience, and they will never, um, and they will never be creative. And these these are things which are brick walls that artificial intelligence will never go through. Now, artificial intelligence is doing incredible things. We certainly don't want to diminish the accomplishments. Yeah, and, and certainly. And, and, and I, was, I was hoping that maybe you could touch on here briefly, if you could, Dr. Marks. What is the difference between artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence? Because you do talk about this, AI and AGI, if you could. Yes, yes. Artificial intelligence is... What we see louded in the news, for example, the sentient chatbot that Google has is an example of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, you've got to define things before you talk about them. You know, if you, if you come into my world, there's people tease against the difference between machine intelligence and artificial intelligence and computational intelligence. But I think in terms of the media, artificial intelligence is anything that a computer can do, which you look at and you say, oh, gee whiz, that, that's amazing. <laughs> I think that that's the way the media treats it. And that's a good way to talk about it, since the common denominator there is that everything is being done by a computer. Artificial general intelligence is the belief 
and it's actually a faith. There's actually there's actually an AI church around this, believe it or not. It is the belief that artificial intelligence will some way and someday duplicate everything that humans can do. Now, if the premise that there are non-computable things that humans do, then this will never be achieved. I like to say that artificial intelligence is written in computer code like uh, Python and C++ and all these other uh, esoteric languages. And AGI, or artificial general intelligence, is mostly written in PowerPoint slides and news releases. Uh, we don't see any, any uh, indication that artificial general intelligence will never will ever happen. It'll never understand. It'll never be sentient. It will never, it will never be creative. The book is non-computable. You, what you do that artificial intelligence never will. Where do you think that uh, what what humans do that artificial intelligence never will? What do you believe here, Doctor Marx, is the source of that non-computable side of humanity? Well, we're getting we're getting above and beyond uh, computer science and more into the area of philosophy. Even though mm-hmm. this area of philosophy is being illuminated now, and that's the that's the mind brain problem. And in, in terms of humans, the question is: Is the mind the same as the brain? This has been a debate which has been going on for years now. If one is a materialist and believes that everything can be described by natural laws and equations and things of this sort, you have no no other place to go than artificial general intelligence. In other words, we're all a bunch of meat computers. Yeah. Everything everything could be done algorithmically. But I think computers... Are, are these the same people that, that think that you can literally take the human brain and upload everything about it into a computer? Yes, and that is really curious because um, since part of you is non-computable, the non-computable part of you will never be uploaded to a computer. So only the computable part of you, which is able to be uploaded to a computer, and I tell you, the, just the computable you is pretty boring. <laughs> just the computable you? <laughs> I really like that. Uh, this is a fascinating book, and it really got me thinking, and, uh, and, I, and also learning some words that I had never heard of before, and I was hoping you could uh, define one of them that I was bringing up to you before we came on. And it had to do with, uh, called qualia, qualia. And you say this is something that artificial intelligence just is not capable of. What is qualia? Yes, well, qualia is, is a type of sentience, and it, um, it deals with the perceptions that you have from your senses. When you bite into a lemon, you have a certain taste. When you see the color red, you see a, you see a certain color. Uh, when you feel pain, there's a certain experience that you had. And this goes back, actually, to the Google butt, this, this, this idea that it's sentient. If it's sentient, it better have qualia. Uh, let's go through a thought experiment. If you look around your room, you can probably see something that's red. And if you look at that redness for a second, you are experiencing something. You are experiencing red. Now, Bill, you and I can talk about red because we've both experienced red, but imagine explaining red, your experience, to a person that's been blind since birth. Now, that, you that, can tell them all that would be next to impossible. Not, That'd be next to impossible to explain. Well, you can't. Yeah, you, you, you could explain the wavelength. You could say right. blood is red. Uh, you could give all sorts of examples. But duplicating that, exp- that experience in the blind man through you just talking to them is never going to happen. So, indeed, if that's the case, how are you going to write an algorithm, a computer program, to have a computer experience the qualia of red? 
you're never going to be able to duplicate that in a computer. Or the taste of a, of a lemon to a human or a biting taste in. Or the lemon. Yeah, it, okay. Exactly. So is not the, uh, the weakness in the thought of a sentient artificial intelligent being, let's say, is that every aspect of that of that individual's programming or that uh, of that computer programming was written and encoded by a human. Is that not the case? Yes, yes. And a computer will only do what uh, what is programmed to do. What 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 do you think Go ahead. Okay, yeah, what do you think happens then as artificial intelligence increases in complexity to the point where it begins to program itself, which is already happening and I'm wondering if that is not a form of consciousness ultimately well there, there there's an assumption and that is that artificial intelligence will be creative because it has to be creative to write something that mm-hmm. wasn't intended by its original programmer there is no there are no cases of artificial general intelligence and here you have to go back to the definition what does creative mean mm-hmm. uh creative is defined by a guy named Summer Bringshore at Rensselaer, uh, follows something called the Lovelace test. And that asks the question, does the computer program do something which is beyond the expectations or beyond the intent of the programmer? Now, this doesn't mean you can't be surprised. I think computer programs surprise us all the time. I think that you might get unexpected results, but it can all go back to the input and the creativity of the computer programmer. And if indeed the computer program is limited to the creativity of the programmer, it itself is never going to create uh, artificial intelligence, which is better than it is. And to date, there has been no computer software that has passed the so-called Lovelace test of creativity. So AI writing better AI is never going to happen in accordance to the Lovelace test definition of creativity. Is there a possibility, though, that as computing power increases, though, in spite of the fact that it may not know what it's doing, as far as we're concerned, we don't know the difference. We can't detect it. That well, I think the computer's... I think the computers can simulate a lot. I don't know if you've seen the movie AI where with this little boy. I think it was by Stanley Kramer and Steven Spielberg put it out. But this little boy robot was just um, uh, just, just incredible, a, human, a humanoid form. And he was standing there, and there was this love button that you pushed. And the mother pushed the love button because she wanted a little boy, of course. And this um, the little boy played by, oh, what was his name, Osmond, I think. The yeah, yeah Haley Joel, in, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just just an incredible child actor. All of a sudden, he came from totally emotionless into into an idea of love, of of, of snuggle hugging. Uh, it, it was it was just amazing to watch that transition. But the fact that he did that does that mean that he was experiencing love, or was it all computing, which was being done under the hood? Yes, when yeah. humans fall in love, is yeah. it is it a human? Is it a mathematical computation that we're you know engaging in? When a human falls yeah, in I love, maintain, yeah, and I maintain that's that's non-computable. You can you can you can uh, program a computer to say I love you, or you can com- you you can uh, write a computer program to show empathy, for example. But it doesn't mean that it's showing love. It doesn't mean that it's experiencing empathy. Elon Musk, uh, I think others like Henry Kissinger, Stephen Hawking, uh, not big fans of artificial intelligence, or are they? I know Elon Musk isn't, but why do you think they're wrong? You know about this? Well, the interesting thing is that the colleague of Stephen Hawking, who was uh, Roger Penrose, just won the Nobel Prize last year in physics, just a brilliant, brilliant man. 
um, agrees with me. He agrees that there's things within the human that are non-computable. And in fact, he wrote this wonderful book, which influenced me a lot. It was called uh, The Emperor's New Clothes, or The Emperor's New Mind, I believe it was. Uh, just a wonderful book, which outlines some of, the, some of the thoughts that I'm talking about here. But a lot of these people, uh, including Elon Musk and um, Stephen Hawking, come to this problem from a total materialistic point of view, which is that everything that exists can be explained by science. Uh, I think a, mm. a, 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 you know, a, a subparagraph of that is that if that's the case, then we are, we, are, we are computers made out of meat, and everything we do in our mind is computable. And I challenge that. I believe that Roger Penrose challenges that. The CEO of Microsoft, uh, uh, Satya Nadella, in his book and his biography, challenges that. There's a number of people that do challenge that idea that we are 100% computable. So it comes from one's ideology. If you are a firm materialist and you believe everything has to be described by mathematics and physics, then, well, then you're inescapably in this idea of artificial general intelligence occurring eventually. All right. Dr. Marks, aren't we just dancing around the subject of the human soul or the spirit? Isn't that really what we're dancing around when we talk about this right now? What, what's non-computable? Uh, you know, you can, and here we're getting into theological I know. Uh, uh, topics, which <laughs> which I guess is fine. Um, I, I do believe, I am a Christian, and I, I do believe that there is something which is external to the brain, and I think that we have evidence of this. I think that we're starting to get evidence from neuroscience, we're starting to get evidence from... Um, uh, from 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 different places, out of body experiences and such, which are now being documented more than ever, that there is something there beyond the brain, and um, indeed, this is something which goes back to Descartes. So this is not a this is not a new um, this is not a new thing, but it's something which has been around for a long time, and we're starting to get evidence that indeed the mind is greater than the brain. Uh, one of the great experiments is something called Leibniz experiment, where he showed, and this is really remarkable, that before you want to do something, there is a signal in your brain that occurs before your brain tells you you want to do it. Now, that sounds kind of materialistic, but yeah. Leibniz also discovered something interesting, that you can take that inclination, that idea that you want to do something, and you can say no. He called it free won't. So <laughs> it's not the idea that we have free will. But we have free won't, and we can turn off those those uh, uh, signals from our brain. And that looks to be something which is external to the brain. That is an absolutely fascinating take on that. And I really enjoyed this book. I'm only about a fourth way through. I'm going to get the rest of it through. And I hope to have you back and, and talk about it further at some point. And uh, Dr. Robert J. Marks, his new book is Non-Computable You, What You Do That Artificial Intelligence Never Will. And he expands way beyond what we've talked about in just this uh, you know, 15, 20-minute uh, conversation. Doctor, available at all the usual suspects, this book here, Non-Computable You? Yes, yes. And do you have a website, uh, any social media feeds people can find out more well, about you? I, I as, as I mentioned, I'm the director of the Walter Bradley Center of uh, Natural and Artificial Intelligence for Discovery, and we maintain a bunch of um, um, posts and a bunch of podcasts at mindmatters.ai, mindmatters.ai. So that's a, that's a good place to go uh, to read more about these things. We have, we have people who are neurosurgeons, psychologists, uh, economists that are all writing, and 
are supportive of the place that um, the place that I am. It's a very thought-provoking book and your work. Thank you so much for having joined us today. Be well.